we've got to distinguish between wisdom and knowledge. They are two different things. I have known a lot of very knowledgeable people who was stupid as all get, uh, foolish, if you will. Right. <laughs> yep, I agree with that. Anyone else? Fran? I put knowledge applied from, uh, we receive, it's uh, wisdom is knowledge applied from God's laws and judgments and statutes. Now, Art, did you have? Yeah, Fran kind of said what I was going to say, uh, basically real simply, um, so you don't have to qualify it. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Larry? Um, I view this as, um, I don't think there's just, just one way you can say what wisdom is. And I think there's a lot of definitions of, of what it is. That's the way it come, comes through to me anyway. Um, I put down having the ability to solve a matter or a problem and achieving the desired results. I know that that's what um, well Solomon was able to do in dealing with these two women that <laughs> one on the death. Anyway, also in applying what God says about a particular matter, acting upon the knowledge that God that he, he has revealed to us and shown to us. I put down ability to do right according to God's word. Anyone else? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you've got wisdom uh, in the worldly sense, right? And and uh, how we would take information and apply it well. And uh, like Reg pointed out, not not everybody with a lot of information applies it well. Um, and then, of course, we have Christian wisdom, or wisdom that comes through uh, the following of the Holy Spirit and the, and the Word of God, and, and that's what we're honing in on. Ken, did you have a comment? Kind of lighthearted. Wisdom is what you get right after you needed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's lighthearted, but it's true, right? And so that's uh, something we should take into the next time we need it, hopefully. Okay, so uh, let's move on to our next point here. Um, you know, we had a question uh, from, the, from the scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2, verses 1 through 5, and the, the question was, what wisdom did Paul want to avoid when preaching to the Corinthians? And more importantly, why? You remember, he, he said, I didn't come with this excellence of speech, or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Why did he want to avoid those things? I think in one way he wants to avoid appealing to himself. In other words, that he wants to uh, communicate the message and it not be what awes people the way he says it in the uh, the rhetoric in which he's able to communicate, but rather he, he, he's fearful that the people will stop and look at him and the way in which he's communicating it and uphold and, and 
glorify him instead of the actual message. Other thoughts on that? Larry? Part of the question was, um, what did he want to avoid? Um, I put, well, I put down what, it, he, it, what, <coughs> what the scripture said, that he wanted to avoid the wisdom of men. Um, he wanted it to be evident that what he was preaching and teaching was in the power of God and not in man's power. Go ahead. Beat your point, huh? I, have you guys ever um, seen any of the, the debates that have uh, gone on? They're typically on YouTube, and they're between different Christian apologists and some other, you know, um, agnostic or atheist or someone, and they have these debates. And this is kind of what uh, that's that's what it reminded me of was the idea that somebody could just come in and be really persuasive, and clever with their arguments and really just change our minds about something. What's wrong with that? Let me just throw that out there. What, what would be wrong with that, Ken? You could end up with a form of buyer's remorse. Paul did not want to sell them into believing in Christ. He wanted them to look at the scriptures, look at what happened, and believe on their own from here instead of from here from him telling that and explaining it to him and you know getting them all fired up and and then you know after he leaves then they forget why you know they they, they want to know why what you know and they lose it and they go off and and are not even interested in readdressing it and learning more Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Okay, let's move on to the next question. Um, you know, Paul was referring to this, this power, and uh, the question asks us to describe what is that power, and, and how does it help our faith and our wisdom? Did, did anybody have a good answer to that question? Fran? <clears throat> the power is the call and conviction of people. When God calls them, they're convicted in their heart to his truth. And then in, through the conviction, there's change. It's also the, <clears throat> the power and force of the Holy Spirit. Um, it says dudamus, which is like dynamite. So right. if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you have that power. To, to be, you know, to have that wisdom, uh, imparting that to you. And it is, it's a disruptive power. Yeah. It's, a, it's an explosive power. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> David? Uh, yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with the last question that it's the, uh, that power is, is God's word. I think when he was describing things to, uh, the followers or the potential followers of the way he was just looking into the scriptures and letting that be the power, letting that be the, uh, 
the authority. It wasn't his wisdom. It was the power and the spirit which comes through the word of God. And that must have been a really fine line, if you think about it, because uh, there was the, what we refer to as the Old Testament. But, but Paul and, and the other disciples were, and apostles were starting to write what we call the New Testament. And so they were bringing their personal testimony. I saw this happen. And it was reflected in the scriptures ahead of time. And, and to be giving their experience, but at the same time not persuading them and not making them buy, uh, buy something because of, of their persuasive words. It's really interesting. So, um, anybody else have any other thoughts on that? Larry? I, I look at it at uh, God is, is our power source. He, he's, he's supernatural. <clears throat> and he can do, give us that power that is not available to everybody, but to those that are what, what, doing his will in the midst of what he wants to be doing in, in, a, in a particular situation or church. I think we have to be plugged into him. We have to have that relationship with him and for him to be providing that supernatural power, he can do it whatever it means if he, he sees fit to do it, whether it be uh, just providing the words he, want to be, he wants to be said or whether he wants to give you the physical strength, whatever he wants to do. Nothing's too hard for him. <laughs> right. And, um, and I, well, I feel that we need to be plugged into him to achieve and to accomplish things that we can't do without his help. I'm talking about that supernatural help. Right. And he is our help and the source of our wisdom because we have the option to go to him. He said that he, he'll give us wisdom and God doesn't lie. <laughs> right. Reg? This is a kind of wisdom that does not precipitate from argument. Instead, it is a kind of wisdom that is almost intuitive but nonetheless right. Yeah, that, I, both, both of you there touched upon our next point here, which has always fascinated me, and I've, I've talked about it before, about the idea that there is this, um, there's this, this mysterious kind of knowledge, right, in, in the human psyche, there, that we know that there's something deeper, wiser, more filling than this life, and that there's, there's this hidden wisdom, this hidden mystery of the, of the wisdom that, that, that we know through the Spirit of Christ uh, and, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit that we can start to understand. So what is that hidden wisdom? If you were to put a definition around it, as Paul was referring to it in, in, uh, back in verse 7 of Second Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, what is the hidden wisdom which God has ordained before the ages for our glory. Yeah, I don't know if I'm answering the direct question. Uh, my perception was a while ago. The wisdom of the world at that particular time in Jesus' day, uh, the Jewish leadership, uh, their wisdom was, we've got to get rid of this rebel out here, this Christ that, that's speaking 
things that are foreign to us. Even though they saw miracles, they knew that uh, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. They were going to try to kill him. But their wisdom was, let's kill this guy because it's better than one person die than the whole nation, you know, uh, because they were under rulership. But anyway, that was their wisdom at the time. So I, I don't know if I answered the particular question you're on right now. So I think in the context of that verse, it's the fact that God has turned the whole world upside down, meaning the way we look at the world of people with power, the ability to put people to death, throw you in prison to take everything away from you. That's the way of the world. That's just the way it is, according to the worldly wisdom. And God's flipped that upside down and said, I've removed the last power of the tyrant to kill you through the resurrection of my son. And so that was, you know, Christ was slain from the foundations of the earth. And so it's that wisdom of in weakness we're strong by, you know, surrendering to the will of God, even in the face of death and persecution and everything that the tyrants of this world, the Caesars of this world can do, it's been turned on its head. And so that we can celebrate that death has been overthrown and life has overcome death. And that's in the face of everything that we see of the world, you know, nature is red in tooth and claw. It's opposite to what we would get from the natural world. And no one would expect that. That's right. Reg? The key for me was the time element that was on here. This was hidden wisdom in which God had ordained from before the ages in our glory. If it is from the beginning, then it must be encoded into us directly. I think this is what the scientists call genetic information that's encoded in what we commonly call junk DNA. I might add one thing. Yeah. Um, it's also because they didn't know that the first coming of Christ, you know, that was a revelation um, to, that, to that age. Because they, they were expecting the Messiah to come and... and take over the governments. So the first coming, and then Christ told him, he said, the scriptures tell of me. And he was, he was trying to help them to understand that. And um, so that was another part of that hidden, hidden wisdom, the kingdom of God, Christ returning, the redemption that was all there. Tremendous amount of, of, of things that was revealed in, in the scriptures, even in the Old Testament. So um, I just want to maybe jump down to um, maybe a harder question. Uh, if, if you remember in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it, has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words, which is man's wisdom teaches, 
but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have a question in here that says, what does the Spirit of God teach us? It says, you know, Paul is saying that we, we're taught spiritual things with spiritual things. And that, that to me is a, is a challenging question. What has the Spirit of God taught us? If you were to define that, what you have written, what has he taught you? What has God taught you through his Spirit? Mr. Gregory. That only God knows the truth. And uh, we, in all of these questions, we see the superiority of God in his greatness and compared to human knowledge and understanding and our, our own way. God is supreme in his will toward us. Friend? Well, it's taught me who Christ is, what God's plan for me is, and how he's going to carry it out. Um, I, I put down, um, you, there's just so many, many things what he has taught us. I put much, much. Okay, how, how do we obtain salvation? Okay, how to love God? How to love man? Um, he's told us, he's Revealed to us what's going to happen, what's in the head in the future. Um, what should we do, be doing now in our lives, and, and as his called out ones and chosen ones. Um, he's just revealed the, his plan, what he's, <laughs> he's carrying out. And I don't think very many people on the face of this earth really know what, <laughs> what God's plan is and what's happening and what's going to happen. Uh, it's, but I, I feel that he's shown, he has shown it to us. You, I think there's just lots and lots more that really what he has revealed and shown to us. Any other thoughts? So I, I have to uh, give a confession here. Um, I've been struggling <laughs> here for the last 20 minutes because um, all my answers went away on my iPad. <laughs> so one of the things the Spirit of God is teaching me right now is to use good old-fashioned paper. <laughs> but what I do remember of my answer for this one um, was that the Spirit teaches us the deeper things behind the law, right? We, we talked the other, the other week about uh, the importance of following God's law. I think it was somebody mentioned it in regards to, to love and talking about the commandments and this is how you love God and love your neighbor. And it is. And on the face of it, those things, if you just do those things, they help us have a good life. 
and, and relate well with our neighbor and, and obviously have a good relationship with God. But why is that? The Spirit helps us go behind the law, behind the surface of it, to understand the very nature of God. And, and that is something that is active. It's not a one-time thing. We understand the, 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 the salvation, the plan of salvation of God. We understand what the holy days represent. We understand all these things. But as Reg said earlier, understanding is not wisdom. David? Yeah, just another part of that. In John uh, 16th chapter and verse 13, uh, Jesus was telling, he says, you know, when he was fixing to go away uh, on a Passover night, he says, how be it, in verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall him, uh, so, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you all things to come. So the spirit is multi-purpose, anyway. Any other thoughts? One of my favorite scriptures. Yeah. Um, because the Spirit really does help us to believe. And so, and that's part of, of, of wisdom, is believing God. And of course, Hebrews eleven six, you have to believe that God exists, and then you have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that both is the hidden wisdom and the wisdom that God is giving us to understand you know, where God is leading us and to give us the strength to go on even under trials and tribulations. So, this is a deep question. <clears throat> I think there's so many ways we could go with it, but one of the ways in which I kind of see this is being able to connect the dots in not just the the physical side, like you were talking about the law of God and how the law of God, you know, it tells us what to do, uh, what not to do. But without that spirit leading us into that understanding, we're not able to connect the whole purpose of why the law says what it does. Uh, kind of like a child doesn't understand fully, like, why you are having to do something a certain way. There's a, there's a greater purpose to it. There's a greater reason to it. And so... To me, the wisdom that God gives us is that ability to not just take the things that he tells us to do and do them, but understand the greater purpose and how that's moving us towards the character of God. Okay, uh, let's uh, move on. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul chides the church in Corinth for being the opposite of wise. They are instead acting foolishly. Paul goes so far as to say they are behaving carnally, having strife, envy, and divisions. He accuses them of worldly wisdom and boasting of their so-called credentials. So we've read chapter 3. Can you give me an answer as to uh, how the Corinthians were being foolish? They were taking pride in and giving authority to people and not to God. Trevor? 
following up on your last point, um, it's the same following the worldly wisdom of this is the way the world runs things, which is people with influence and power and authority, and you latch onto one of those powerful people, and you know it's a Caesar or a president, and you keep rising with them, right? And Paul's whole point is this has all been overthrown. This system is is kaput, you know, but the new world hasn't completely broken in yet. It started to, so you need to be people of the kingdom while you're here on earth. So live like you're living as a kingdom person, even though you're still in this physical world. And so that means and looks like you're not a follower or of Cephas or Apollos or any of these other people. It's we're a follower of Jesus and we're, we're people of the kingdom. And so that's what we need, need to look like. Um, I view it from that um, what what was going on in Corinth was my understanding that it was a, an affluent metropolis and a lot of times when you get in that type of affluence morals decline <laughs> and they do their own thing and which is get heavily involved in sin just put it bluntly and they what God's I mean Paul said they were what carnal <laughs> they were doing the works of the flesh weren't they that's what when he says you're you're carnal that's what you're doing <laughs> what comes naturally to to you um, um, and what some of them what were claiming that they were they belonged to to Paul some of them claimed that they belonged to Apollos really shouldn't we be belong to, shouldn't we know who we belong to aren't, aren't we Christ isn't he the one that we belong to and well I think Paul kind of got, got them lined out a little bit on that particular matter too that but um that's the way I understand it, and that it's that's just what happens. I think when you get into affluent societies and worlds, that morals decline and sin increases, becomes more and more prevalent. What's basically what's happened to us, we here in this nation as well. In the context of First Corinthians, there's also something really striking that Paul chides the Corinthians about, and that is the issue of taking each other to court, secular courts. He literally says that you guys are taking each other to court. You're supposed to be in the future judging angels, and you can't even deal with these little issues that you have going on right now in between you guys. So he's appalled that... These individuals who are supposed to be, you know, Christians, believers, you know, a part of the future kingdom of God that have such a significant and enormous part of God's plan because all of us do. And they're going to, you know, we as humans, we as, you know, God's creation, uh, we all know what's ahead of us and the thing, well, we don't know completely, but we understand that it's magnificent and Something as small as maybe whether it be property issues, whether it be something else, they're not able to deal with it on their own. They're not able to, to deal with it and just come together, have a conversation, 
and figure out what the solution is. Uh, something which has to be small compared to what the future believers, what's in store for us in God's kingdom. Anyone else? So uh, let's just jump on down. We're um, running out of time, and I would really like to get um, to uh, the, the very last page, which I'm hoping we have um, lots of uh, wisdom there for, for each one of us to share. But before we get there, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 18, Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So we, we've got this concept that he's introducing or he's, he's reminding of, reminding us of, he's not introducing it, that we have two choices, be wise in the world or be foolish in the world and be wise in, in Christ. So how do, we, how do we do that? Let me just throw that out because lots of these questions are boil down to how do we continue to be wise, godly wise, in the world where we look like fools. Because when the world looks at us, they see fools. I think I've shared with you before, I had a, my, my current boss asked me one time, after the end of a, a conversation about faith, he said, so before you go, do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he grew and died for the sins of the world, and was resurrected again. Yes, I do. And his answer was, huh. It's almost as though he was saying, and I thought you were a smart guy. <laughs> Which, that was his mistake, because that's clearly not true. But how do we live in this world and maintain the wisdom of God? while we're looking like fools. I've got, I've got one for you, Matt. Go um, ahead. This is an example of my life, similar to yours, actually, in the sense that when I was working with my dad back in England, um, ever since he came into the church in the early 70s, he would finish work on a Friday evening early. And now, in the Northern Hemisphere up there in Britain, it gets dark at 3.30 in the winter, from November through February. So a lot of guys in the construction trade would finish at 5.36. And here he was, this guy packing up his tools at 3.30. And if he had to rely on a ride to get to work, he would go up to the canteen and wait for the other guys to finish. And they were all thinking, who's this guy I think he is? Where's he going? What time is it, 3.30? None of them understood the real reason. I mean, he explained to the foreman and the boss, but they looked at that as foolishness. What is he doing? Who does he think he is? But that's just a small aspect of our beliefs and the Sabbath and everything, but to the world it's seen as foolishness, but I always looked up to that and respected that in the sense that he could do that, because it 
it may take a lot of courage when everyone around you is looking at you that way and talking behind your back. But it showed wisdom on his behalf to, to stick to his beliefs, stick to his guns, and he, he saw it through, despite of what the consequences could be after that for doing that in Britain. Anyone else? Trevor? You know, one aspect of it is um, Jesus says to pray for our enemies and for those who despitefully use and abuse us. And so when you truly do that in your heart of hearts, if you're in your prayer closet and you're on your knees and you really want good things for your enemy or people who are doing hurtful things to you, that goes against everything that the world teaches you about what you should do. It goes against you have to fight for your rights, you have to get yours, you have to expand your influence and your authority. Again, the way of Caesar and Caesar's kingdom, that's just how it's washed in blood and that's what it ends in. And the kingdom is not based upon that principle. So I would say just doing the things that Jesus had said of truly loving our enemies, praying for them, wanting good things for them, um, you know, that transforms, I think, our hearts as believers. So that's the wisdom of the kingdom for me in practice, at least an aspect of it. There's a passage in John, I think John 16, that says, In the world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And I think one of the first things that we have to realize in this question is, is that it's not going to be easy. There's no solution uh, to uh, living out the wisdom of God and thinking that at some point, you know, we're not going to have any problems in this world. Uh, that we're going to have everybody just come to the realization that maybe we are doing the right thing. On the flip side... You were talking about your father, and I'm sure many of you have maybe had experiences with this. In my experience, living out God's wisdom, not always, but eventually many times, will bear fruit, not just in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God, but it'll also bear fruit with even people who are unbelievers, that maybe you work with, that maybe originally think that you're foolish. Uh, and then what I say that for is because... If you're working as of to the Lord, and you're, you're working and you're being an ethical person, and you're a hard worker, and you're demonstrating the fruits among people, not everybody, but at some point someone's going to recognize that and think that that's, that's a real asset. You know, I would rather have this person who shows up to work, works hard, is reliable, I don't have to worry about them stealing things. I don't have to worry about them doing things that's maybe going to get, maybe if you work for a company, it's going to get us in a lawsuit or in trouble. And in this day and age, it's going to maybe harass a, a co-worker. I think that we have to just come to that realization that we're not going to impress everybody. There's still going to be people that thinks, thinks us as fools. But I think that it will bear fruit, even in our work life at some point. Because I think that God's righteousness, not our own, will eventually show forth and some people will start recognizing that and some people will see that as, you know what, this person really is an asset. Uh, whatever it is that makes them be the way they are actually is contributing to what they bring to the table. Any other thoughts? Well, if you would, just turn to your last page, the very back of your, uh, your study. And I'd be interested to hear other scriptures and other thoughts that you may have on wisdom. What are your favorite 
scripture from, from the word of God on wisdom that you would be willing to share with us today? Did anybody do that part? <laughs> so, the, what, do we have one? Chantel? But Second Peter, one five through um, eight, and that just um, hit home with the wisdom, because it goes through everything and having the mind of Christ and how each thing builds upon the other. So Second Peter, one five through eight. Does anybody else have some? Larry? Um, <clears throat> what, what comes to my mind concerning wisdom, well, I think I brought that out a while ago that we, well, uh, it comes to my mind that we have the option to go to what he says in James and to ask him for it. And he says what, he'll give it to us um, liberally, liberally, liberally and <clears throat> without repro reproach and it will be given to us and what he, uh, in dealing with wisdom what he says uh, what in uh, Psalms 111 <clears throat> verse 10 that <clears throat> the beginning the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and having that um, and what understanding what he mean I, I way I understand on understand what he's talking about in fearing God is really holding him in high esteem, what God truly is, as well as maybe what some of the of the definitions of fearing God is being not want, not wanting to disobey Him, being afraid to disobey Him, but do what He wants us to be doing, and that's in also in uh, Pro Proverbs um, uh, nine and verse ten, the same thing, and He says that. Um, that the begin uh, <clears throat> fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. Anyone else? So um, I'll just share. We, we, it's in here already. One of my favorites is Song ninety, verse twelve, um, and that scripture comes from a whole passage where it talks about that God created everything. That he was before the mountains. He was before the creation. And he was before every facet of human wisdom ever existed. He was before all of that. And so for me, that passage puts, a, puts it in context because it's like he is the original founding creator not just of the world, but of wisdom itself. His character and his nature is wise. And that's what we're trying to become in Christ Jesus. Like God, I'm, I'm more like him every day. So he says, so teach us to number our days. Count our days. Just like we count to Pentecost. That's why it's such a, an amazing tool, I think, for us. 
in our faith to follow these days and to count down to Pentecost. Be aware of the time and be aware of our, our life and what we're doing with our life. So teach us to count our days, or number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. All right, uh, thank you everybody for participating and for your patience in all of our gremlins today. Uh, we do have uh, the final Bible study to hand out, so if you uh, would, just make sure you stick around for that, and we'll have services in about 10 minutes.